Welcome to the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, author, teacher, speaker, and coach. I focus on your spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being to help you be the best leader possible. Each episode explores research and practical tips so you can be a non-anxious presence personally and professionally. And now, here's the show. Welcome to Episode 8 of the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, and today we are going to explore why it is so difficult for people to change their minds. As this episode releases, my denomination, the one that I've served for 30 years, the United Methodist Church, is in the middle of a special conference where about a thousand delegates from around the world are going to consider whether the denomination will change its position on homosexuality. This denomination, like many others, uh, has had a traditional stance for many years, but over the last several decades, there's been quite a bit of disagreement about whether that should change and whether the denomination should ordain LGBTQ persons and also affirm marriages between members of the same sex. So this is something that other denominations have gone through and virtually every denomination that has made a decision on it has split. And in some way, our denomination is trying to figure out what we are calling a way forward that we could live together with uh, allowing for some differences. But uh, I'm, I guess I'm going to say I'm not real hopeful because what I learned several years ago was that people don't negotiate their closely held values. And this is one of those situations where we are talking about a very closely held value. So I'm not here to pass judgment on either position or to try to convince you to change your mind about this issue. What it makes me think about is why why don't we negotiate our closely held values and what does that help us understand as a leader. In his article in Psychology Today, Mark Alec, the article is called Why We Hate People Who Disagree, he gives an example of kind of the identity we take on when we root for sports teams. And if you're not a sports fan, I'm sorry for the sports analogy, but you know, if, even if you're not a sports fan, you probably know somebody who is you're you're somebody in your family you're probably close to somebody who is and you know the whole idea is that when we root for a team we kind of take on the identity of being a fan of that team where i live most people are either a fan of the baltimore ravens or the philadelphia eagles when we're talking about professional football and if you're a Ravens fan, part of your identity is to hate the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New England Patriots. It's just a fact. I know most every Raven fan I know, that's that's the way they are. That's their identity. And of course, if you are a Philadelphia Eagle fan, uh, you are likely going to hate the Dallas Cowboys. That is just what it means to be an Eagles fan. So this is part of the identity of being a fan of a specific team is that not only do you love your team, but you hate the other team. And what this shows us is that for for um, us as people who are broken people, fallible people, identity does matter, 
Our identity does shape who we are and what we love and also what we hate. Identity politics has gotten a lot of press recently and people are on either side of that, whether that's good or bad. And I want to suggest to you that identity politics is more than just race or ethnicity. Uh, I, I believe all politics is identity politics because we are wrapped up in who we are. Our, our identity influences everything that we are about. And so we have Fox News and we have MSNBC and, and liberals have their own identity and conservatives have their own identity. And understanding that we claim our identity and that it is hard for us to accept people who are different, uh, who, who disagree with who we are as a person, makes it very difficult for us to function effectively as a leader. If we can't accept people who disagree with us, we're going to have problems. And you will hear me say over and over and over again on this podcast, effective leaders are able to say what they believe while giving others the freedom to disagree. Belief systems matter. And one of the things that shapes our identity is our belief system. But the, the thing about this is it is a system that means that we have a whole set of beliefs and they're interconnected and it's complicated. And one of the things we understand about belief systems is that changing one belief will affect the entire system as a whole. And so that's why it's difficult to change what we believe, because if we change even one thing, it affects our whole belief system and it affects our identity. Dr. Robert Cialdini in his book, Influence, which focuses on persuasion, he found that consistency is is a very important thing to people. And we are going to be very focused on behaving consistently with our previously stated public positions. So for some people, maybe even many people, it becomes more important to behave consistently than to actually find the truth. So that if something that we, if we see something that doesn't agree with our previously stated positions, we are less likely to even be open to it. In fact, even in the face of all the facts, we may argue to maintain our previously stated positions, to be consistent with those positions. And I think you would likely say that you know people who have done that, and you would likely say that you probably have argued a position, even if you maybe knew deep down that the facts stated otherwise. I know certainly I have done that. And and part of that is just being a human being and being stubborn. But what this tells me is that our our bias, our kind of our homeostasis, our balance, our equilibrium as human beings is that we are just not going to be open to new ideas and new positions, to positions that disagree with our own. And I think the sooner we recognize that the better off we will be. I listened to a recent episode of the podcast Hidden Brain, and this particular episode was called Nature, Nurture, and Your Politics. I will put a link to the podcast in the show notes. And they were interviewing John Hibbing, who is a professor of political science at the University of Nebraska. And 
in the opening, they have Hibbing describing two different towns. One town, he says, would stress patriotism and respect and have a very rules-based educational system. The houses would be similar. The lawns would be nicely kept and, and mowed. The town would be quiet with a lot of churches. The other town would have schools that were more experiential and rather than doing rote memory, they would have older houses with wooden floors rather than wall-to-wall carpeting. The the yards would be kept more natural and there would be lots of bars and community theaters with foreign films more than churches. And then they ask which would be the conservative town and which would be the liberal town. And I think it's pretty easy to guess that the first town is more conservative and the second town more liberal. And this seems like a stereotype, but what Hibbing has found is that actually people do have a predisposition, even a genetic predisposition, to being more conservative or more liberal. In fact, he cited research that shows that liberals prefer mixed-breed dogs. Conservatives prefer purebred dogs. Liberals prefer ethnic food. Conservatives prefer meat and potatoes. Liberals prefer poetry with free verse, or at least they're okay with free verse poetry. Conservatives believe poetry should rhyme. Now, these are stereotypes, of course, and and there are all kinds of variations among liberals and conservatives, but the idea is that there is an identity to being a liberal or being a conservative. More importantly, what Hibbing has found is that there is a genetic component to being liberal or being conservative. They actually did brain scans showing disgusting images and the brains of liberals different responded differently. Different parts of the brain lit up than those of conservatives. And what they found was that just using this brain scan, they could accurately predict whether someone was liberal or conservative. They also did research on identical and fraternal twins. And what, what they were able to do is figure out between these this large data set is... Is there a difference genetically between liberals and conservatives? Why? Because uh, identical twins have identical genetic codes, whereas fraternal twins are going to have some differences. And what they did was they took twins that were split at birth and they looked at was there a difference in their political views based on their genetics or or not. And using uh, this large data set, they found that actually uh, among identical twins, there was a height correlation of 80%. So they were going to be pretty close in height, that, that you would guess that for their genes, and that there is a personality trait correlation of 56%. So over half of their personality traits would be genetic, and then the other half would be their environment, their nurture, that nature versus nurture. But what they found was that 30 to 40% of their political views could be identified as genetic. Now that doesn't mean, so what that means is that somebody is not definitely going to be a liberal or a conservative based on their genes, but they they do have some orientation or some predisposition. 
certainly some people can grow up in a liberal household and end up being conservative and vice versa. So there is definitely an environmental component to it. But what this tells us is that there are actual physical or biological differences between liberals and conservatives. Not enough to make it uh, totally a done deal one way or another, but enough to to actually influence the direction that somebody might end up going. So not only do we have this identity issue, this belief system issue that we're not going to negotiate our closely held values, we also have this predisposition genetically. So again, I'm, I'm not trying to say that people aren't open to new ideas, but what I want to say is that both psychologically and biologically, we are not going to be open, very open to new ideas. We're not going to be very open to the positions of those with whom we disagree. To understand how our identity, our belief systems get even further entrenched, it's helpful to understand the idea of misattribution of arousal. Researchers have found in many studies that have been replicated that young men and women find one another more physically attractive if they meet on a swinging rope bridge. And what they have determined from that is that this emotional intensity is raised because they are high up, they are scared. So when their emotions are more intense, they are actually more open to experiencing something that is wrongly attributed as physical attraction rather than to the danger or the perceived danger of their situation. So hypnotists know that if you want to implant an idea in somebody, you need to raise their emotions first. And so a good hypnotist will actually calm somebody down, get them calm, then raise their emotions, excite them, and then plant something in their mind in order to get that to stick. So our emotions, our attitudes, our beliefs are are further entrenched when we are in emotionally intense situations that perhaps cause us to wrongly attribute these emotions to our value systems, to our beliefs. So think about going back to the sports team. Think about the professional football game. I've always said that uh, when I attend a professional football game, it's like being at the Roman Colosseum where the gladiators were, where everybody is yelling and screaming. We're high-fiving with people we don't even know. I've even hugged a person I don't even know when my team has done something great. So this this emotional arousal then gets transferred to the love of my team. Think then about how this translates in belief systems and political movements. Think about Hitler. Hitler used rallies to create an identity in pre-World War II Germany that carried all the way through World War II until he was finally stopped. Think about Dr. Martin Luther King. Dr. King used rallies to help solidify the identity of people who were no longer going to stand for segregation in our country. Think even about worship and how churches worship together and oftentimes that 
emotional arousal is used to reinforce the belief systems of those who are in attendance. Now, I'm not saying that this is should be used to manipulate people. I'm not saying that we want to use this concept of emotional arousal or misattribution of arousal to to actually manipulate people's ideas. But I think understanding that this is how our belief systems, our identities get even further entrenched helps us to understand that people are not going to negotiate their closely held values. And here's my takeaway as a leader. If I know that people aren't going to negotiate their closely held values, I know that I need to stop trying to argue with them that I am right and they are wrong. That the best thing I can do is stand firm in my position, but also stay connected to them emotionally. This goes back to the idea of self-differentiation. And if you are not clear on what self-differentiation is, then you can go back to episode two of the podcast. And if you're not clear on what leadership through self-differentiation is, go back to episode four of the Non-Anxious Leader podcast. The idea here is that we as leaders are most effective when we're able to claim what we believe but give others the freedom to disagree while staying emotionally connected to them. Instead of withdrawing from those who disagree with them, we need to show that we value them, we still respect them, and it's okay if they want to disagree with us. But hey, we're going to go in this direction and we hope that they'll consider coming along. That is the most effective way to move forward in any change situation and it's hard to do because what we want to do is we want to withdraw from the people that disagree with us but if we can stay emotionally connected we may not get them to agree with us completely we may not get them to agree with everything we believe but we might get them to just be open to what we are trying to do and so as we come back full circle to where my denomination is and and is trying to figure out how to move forward with LGBTQ inclusion or not, it is it is real likely that it's not going to happen. It's there, There's not going to be a way forward uh, for the denomination together. I do believe in miracles, and if, if that happens, I think it would be a miracle because it would show that we are more united in our love of God than we are divided on this particular position. But I understand how our closely held positions are not only developed but but are also reinforced and so i just i'm just at, at peace now that we may have to move forward in separate ways but that's okay uh, i believe god is in charge and god doesn't even need the united methodist church that's my uh sermon for today what i hope you will take away from this is as a leader you can help people to be open to your positions by not trying to convince them to agree with you. Just share what you believe and stay connected to them. And if you do that, you'll have the best chance of working together, even with those that disagree with you. So that's the podcast for this week. A little bit longer than normal. I'll have everything in the show notes. If you want to see the, the information, if you want to find those links, you can go to the nonanxiousleader.com slash eight. That's the number eight. And you will see the show notes there and you can find everything that you need. 
Also, if you go to that link, feel free to leave a comment or question in the comment section at the bottom of the page. I'd love to hear from you and to know what you think. So now, until next time, thanks and goodbye. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, there are two things you can do to help others find this podcast. First, tap the subscribe button on your podcast app. And second, leave a review. I appreciate your help. Finally, you can find more resources as well as subscribe to my blog at thenonanxiousleader.com. Now, go be yourself.